Life in the digital age impacts all of us, and that includes anybody who is a Christian and anybody who's not a Christian. It includes anybody who's a member of this church and anybody who's not. It includes anybody and everybody who is live at one of our three campuses or watching or joining online or later on podcast. And whichever, whichever way you would categorize yourself, uh, I'm so glad that you're here. I'm glad that you're with us or listening in as we start this new series called Always On. Now, when we bring up a topic like technology and our digital lives and the digital age, I think it's important for us to get our historical bearings, especially here at the Hills, we are an intergenerational church, and there's a ton of blessings that come along with that, and it also means that there's a lot of different perspectives and relationships with something like technology. So, to start out, live at all of our campuses, I, I need your help with some participation at West Fort Worth, South Lake, North Richland Hills. I'm going to list five dates, and with each of them, uh, if you were born after that date, I want you to raise your hand. So, at the risk of some feeling young and others feeling more experienced, uh, we are going to do this. Here we go. Date number one, raise your hand, hands up if you were born after 1928. Okay, this should be pretty much all of us. We have a few members who are in their 90s and they might not need to raise their hand, but for, for the rest of us, there we go. Now, this date, on that year, 1928, the first television set was sold. It was actually a mechanical television, which meant, you could see in this ad, that you actually had to work a crank in order to get a disc to move with the image. So TV was work back in 1928 in order to be entertained. But for the rest of us, that means that the vast majority of us as a church, we only know a world in which TVs exist. All right, next date, bit of a jump. Hands up if you were born after 1946. That year, the University of Pennsylvania unveiled the ENIAC. That stood for Electronic Numerical Integrator and Computer. This was the, the first working computer and really influenced and has continued to have influence over what has developed as modern computing technology. You can see in this picture, it takes up uh, pretty much like a ton of space, it fills a whole room, takes a ton of people to work, and at the same time, it was able to solve really complicated equations that some thought might take months or years, and the ENIAC could do it in a matter of hours. Next date, bit of a jump. We're about to split the room, in fact. Here we go. Hands up if you were born after 1973. After 1973, yep, we're splitting the room. Here we go. So that year, Motorola introduced the first working cell phone. This picture, I love everything about this picture. <laughs> that vintage vibe, that brick in his hand, it's awesome. Uh, and so the story goes that the very first phone call on the first working cell phone was by a Motorola employee, and what did they do? That supposedly, they called a rival at AT&T and bragged about their phone working before they got their device up and running. All right, next jump. Hands up if you were born after 1992. That is the point where my, can't, my hand can't go up. So IBM in 1992 unveiled in Las Vegas at an expo the first smartphone called the Simon Personal Communicator had a screen, a working touch screen with a little stencil, and it was on the market two years later, and uh, the Simon smartphone sold for over a thousand dollars. And with the battery 100% charged, the Simon was pretty impressive because it could last you with 100% battery a full hour. <laughs> All right, last one. Hands up if you were born after 2007. 
Yep, only a few. That was the year that Apple announced the very first iPhone. And things have never been the same since. As we begin this series, it's important for us to realize that in an intergenerational church, we have all kinds of different relationships with technology, especially during our formative years. And this can influence our, our, our opinions and our feelings and our thoughts about how all of this is developed and about what it's good for or what it's bad for and all those different things. But despite the diversity of opinions, all of us can acknowledge the pace at which all of this has happened is blistering and the advancements are staggering. Just five dates in less than 100 years and we went from TV that you had to work to watch to TV where you can sit back and stream as much content as Hulu and Netflix and Amazon can crank out, which by the way is more content than you could watch in your lifetime. In less than 100 years we went from Computers that can barely be contained by entire rooms to computers we can easily fit inside our pockets. In less than 50 years, we went from the first working cell phone to now, according to Bloomberg Business, there are more cell phones than there are people to use them. That cell phones out, outnumber people on earth. This is incredible. And the more research I've done, the more things I've looked at, I keep asking this question, man, how did we get here? Because it's a lot more complicated than just those five dates and just the next invention and the next innovation. Like how in the world do we get to this place where this stuff is always around and always on and, and where we are inundated and immersed in an age of digital noise and media and data and posts? Like how did we get here? But when I shifted in my mind from Wikipedia historian to follower of Jesus, I started thinking about that question and praying and searching in the scriptures, I, I had a very different answer for how we got here. See, I believe that a Christian, a follower of Jesus, can think about that question, how did we get here, and answer one gift at a time. As we launch into this series, this is an important foundation that we need to lay. So if you're taking notes, this is the first point. Technology is a gift from God. Like, as Christians, and I recognize not everybody listening to me right now would call themselves a Christian, and I'm glad that you're with us wherever you're at on the faith spectrum. But what we believe as followers of Jesus is not only that there is a God, but that God created the world with intention and design and purpose. And that when God made people, when he made the first man, the first woman, that God made them the biblical languages in his image. So it makes sense that the creator God made creative people. And what we see, it's very interesting to me, when you look through the, the ancient Hebrew scriptures that we call the Old Testament, you see all of these little glimpses of technical language and technology developing. Now when you and I hear the word technology, we think about screens and wires and batteries and all those kind of things, but, but technology at its most basic is the ordering of raw materials for human purposes. Said a little more simply, technology is using what God gives us to get stuff done and make life better. That's what technology is at its most basic. And so I started looking in these ancient scriptures and seeing technical language. Now, I'm not going to put all these up on the screen for you, but if you want to write down these references, I'd encourage you to check them out. 
So in Genesis 4, just four chapters into the Bible, it doesn't take long for us to see this technical language come up where people are building cities in Genesis 4. They are forging tools of bronze and iron. They are uh, innovating and coming up with stringed and piped instruments for music. There's invention, there's creativity, there is cutting edge for that day and age, technology being developed. Two chapters later, you write down Genesis 6, it's not a person who's using technical language, it is God himself who is giving a man named Noah instructions about wooden beams and tar and pitch and cubits of length in order to build a boat. And it's God who's using this technical language of ordering his creation and the resources for human purposes. You skip forward a few more generations, you can write down Exodus 31. And in that chapter, God's giving these instructions about his dwelling place, the tabernacle. And he says that there are a couple people he is going to anoint with his Holy Spirit for the skill of craftsmanship and design and artisan work that these people are doing as they're building and constructing and designing. Then, a couple more generations, people are trying to build a temple for God. You can write down Second Chronicles 3, and there is this lengthy list of all the different ways that this temple was being constructed and put together and all of the design and the, and the measurements and all the work and all of the technical advancements that were needed to make this happen. You write down one more, Nehemiah 4, there's this long list of people who work together to build and repair the walls and gates of the city of Jerusalem. And there's all these, tech, these technical places and technical language and this developing and innovation and technology inside of ancient scriptures in part because God, the creator, made us in his image to be creative and to work and to use his resources to get things done and make life better, and that glorifies him. So I wanna pause for a second. We're gonna get to the screens and some of our habits with those in just a little bit, but first, I think it's important for us to acknowledge not only that technology is a gift from God, but that those who work in all kinds of fields glorify God by what they do. So if you are live at one of our campuses or maybe you're listening to the sound of my voice, like wherever you are, if you work in a field that you would describe as a little more basic, a little more plain, a little more maybe quote unquote less spiritual, I need you to know that you're glor God is glorified in what you do because you are bearing the image of a creative God. If you, if you work in city planning and infrastructure, you glorify God. You work in construction, you glorify God. You work in agriculture, you glorify God. You work in the oil and gas industry or residential developments or graphic design or manufacturing or, or, or clothing or retail. If you are digging trenches, if you're pulling wire, if you're doing things that you think, I don't really know how spiritual this is. No, actually, you glorify God with what you do because you are using what God's given us to get stuff done and make life better and God's glorified through you. Like, I thank God for all kinds of people who use the gifts that God has given them to innovate and to create and to steward and to help things out. I mean, I praise God in July and August for the AC workers in the Metroplex, okay? Like, I thank God for people who work in plumbing because when it doesn't work, things are terrible. Like, I, I thank God for people in the fields of medicine and design and communication who help to connect people and heal people and do all kinds of incredible things. We got here one gift at a time from God himself who has equipped us and skilled us and inspired us to be creative beings because we are made in his creator image. 
And so here's, here's one way that James, the brother of Jesus, writing to a group of Christians, he says, don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters, every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights who does not change like shifting shadows. See, God has given us all these things, and at the same time, what God gives us is meant to serve what God wants for us. See, God's gifts are intended to serve God's purposes for us. And the challenge is, as we have developed and as we have innovated and as we have moved ahead one gift at a time, there are often times where this technology that does incredible things and provides all kinds of opportunities. I mean, even right now, I'm, I'm talking and I'm aided by technology. I'm preaching from an iPad. I have a microphone strapped to my head. That is, uh, that's helping my, my voice project not only into this room and those within earshot, but those who are at our two other campuses, those who are watching online, those we're gonna put this up on our website later, and there are cameras around the room and people working them who are following and helping to steward all this technology to say nothing of the ways that for loved ones who are far away, we're able to not only, you know, not just do a phone call or write a letter but send a text and uh, and have a video call and stay connected with people that we love who are far from us technology is such a gift and at the same time for all the ways that it's helped us to do incredible things like we are getting to a place of unprecedented technical power think about this for a second the gps app on your phone possesses approximately 30,000 times the processing speed of the 70-pound onboard navigating computer that helped Apollo 11 land on the moon. And that's just to get you to lunch. (laughs) But the thing about these incredible little tiny computers that we carry around in our pockets is not only that they help us get to where we want to go and they can direct us to our next appointment, it's that they have the power to direct and divert our attention all day long. According to one study, we check our smartphones every 4.3 minutes. That's about 220 times a day or over 81,000 times a year. That means that even during this sermon, you're probably gonna be tempted to check it about like eight times. And first I want to say, our church is a place of grace, okay? Like, I'm already speaking mercy upon the person whose phone goes off during this series in a sermon, okay? We love you, it's okay. But it's not just that we're checking our phones all the time because of the notifications and the dings and the text, it's also because, it's also because, according to some studies, our attention spans are getting shorter. Microsoft Canada released a study and said that in 2000, the average attention span was 12 seconds long. Just 13 years later, that number had dropped to eight seconds. Microsoft also reports that the average attention span of a goldfish is nine seconds. Not an encouraging statistic right there. It's not just what this is doing to us, it's how broadly this is affecting the world. Just take, for instance, something like social media. Over two billion people use Facebook, and at least a billion of them check Facebook every single day as part of their routine. And for most of us, I don't care if you have a social media account or not, we have devices around us that are almost always on. Maybe it's the house where the the TV is just always on in the background, Maybe it's, it's, uh, it's the, the phone that you never, ever, ever turn off. 
Maybe it's the laptop that's always nearby, the tablet where you can check that email or watch that next video or play that game. Maybe it is a gaming console that, man, once you get in there, you're just in and you're ready all the time. Or maybe it's the series and Alexas that are always listening. But we have become inundated and immersed in this world. And the challenge is, we have to come back to, if technology is a gift from God, and it's meant to serve his purposes for us, what does God want for us? Not just to bear his image as those who are creative, not just to create for creation itself or, to, or, 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 or for innovation itself, but, but there is a greater purpose that God has always had in mind. Jesus talked about it, which by the way, if Uh, that's another thing that Christians believe. We believe that God not only created the world, but that he joined creation like never before in the person Jesus Christ. We believe that Jesus of Nazareth wasn't just a wise teacher, that he wasn't just a, a rabbi from 2,000 years ago. We believe that he was God in the flesh, fully God and fully man. And so for Christians, his, there's no one else whose words bear greater weight Jesus was asked all kinds of questions when he would travel around and teach, and one person asked him, in fact, it's recorded in all four of the Gospels, but I'll show you in Mark 12, what, what's the most important thing we should be about? What's the greatest commandment? He's talking about the, the Old Testament law. What is it that we should be focused on? What is our purpose? What's the greatest thing? Jesus answers, the most important one is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. And the second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. And Jesus took a really complicated, lengthy Old Testament law and boiled it down and made it really simple. And in a complicated digital age, we need his words again to remember that our purpose is to love God and love others. And there, there's too many ways that, that in an issue that often feels very gray, Jesus' words bring us back to some black and white. It can feel like life is moving faster than ever, and yet Jesus' words can help slow us down to evaluate and assess. And that's what we're going to do. My goal is to reframe our conversation around all of these devices and these screens and these things that we spend so much time on, to reframe it around Jesus' words, that our greatest purpose is to love God and love others. So that's what we're going to talk about. And the next two weeks, I'll just give you the preview. Next week, we're going we're to talk about us and God and our relationship, our devotion to Him, and how does our technology, how do our screens and our devices, how do they help and serve our relationship with God, and how do they hinder and distract from our relationship with God? And in week three, we're going to talk about what it means to love others as we love ourselves and ask, how, how is the technology in my life and all these screens and all these devices, how are they impacting for good and for evil how I love others. And the danger that I've sensed, partly because I grew up in church, is that for some of you, you, you heard that, that answer from Jesus and you've already heard that sermon. 
You've already heard that sermon series. You've heard that reference lots of times, and it may feel like, oh, okay, well, same old, same old. But I want us to stop down and let these words have weight upon us again in the context of the digital age, really to ask ourselves, how much of what I watch and what I do on these devices is actually serving my greatest purpose, to love God and to love others? And by the way, lest you misunderstand, I am preaching to myself first and foremost, okay? Like, I'll, I'll go first. In this series, as I've been studying and, and just leading up to this weekend, I have become so convicted that while I am called and my greatest purpose is to know the God who loves me and who came as Jesus to save me, who died on a cross to pay for my sins, who rose from the grave to show and prove his sovereignty over this world, for all the ways that I'm made to love him with my heart and my soul and my mind and my strength, I have looked at my digital habits and realized that all the time that I'm spending staring down or streaming content or surfing online or scrolling feeds has, has left me with a restless heart and a hungry soul and a distracted mind and strength that has often been squandered by afternoons when I scroll or times right after dinner where I just binge watch straight to bedtime and gotten into these patterns, but I know, I know that I'm not alone because the more I talk to people, the more that I see and realize this. But among that conviction, I'm also certain of this, this problem isn't new. God's gifts have been used for harmful and even wrongful or sinful purposes for a long time craftsmanship that was intended to glorify God and the tabernacle and the temple eventually became craftsmanship that was used to build idols for false gods and false worship. Forged tools for agriculture and blessing others turned to forge, forging weapons for violence and war. Productivity and prospering was warped into workaholism and slave driving and barn storing. Like this problem isn't new. But part of what we have to wrestle with in this series is that while the problem isn't new, the mediums are. Like so many other things in God's creation, technology can be purposed for both bad and good, but what you need to hear, what we need to realize is that these mediums are not neutral. These mediums aren't just like, oh, well, some good and some bad. Yes, there's that, but it's more complicated than that because these screens are doing things to us. I've had this verse stuck in my head. It's, it's from 1 Corinthians where Paul, this church leader, is writing to a group and he says, I have the right to do anything, you say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but I will not be mastered by anything. And the danger, the problem that is beginning to spread all throughout society, even way outside the church to all kinds of people, is that too many of us have mastered these devices and we use them and all of a sudden our use of them begins to master us. The danger with these screens in part is that they can go from serving our purposes to shaping our purposes. That they don't just help us do stuff, but they influence what we want to do and what we think is worth doing. For all the entertainment and convenience and connection they can bring into our lives, and if we're not careful, 
in the digital age, we can create habits and patterns that cause God to feel irrelevant and in-person relationships to feel optional. And that is a lie from Satan. He's used all kinds of gifts from God and warped them for his purposes many times, and he is doing it again with our relationship with all these different screens and devices. And, and this medium, it offers an inexhaustible, this is what's new about it. See, like, what you can look at on these screens is unending. You could never look at everything online, you could never watch every show, you could never see every post, and so that means there's always something new to look at, there's always something new to distract us, there is always something new that will, if we're not careful, help us disengage from the life we're called to live, the people we are called to love, the God we're called to serve and trust. I mean, I had this moment that, that a few months ago that really has stuck in my mind. I was at the student event, and uh, I was getting ready to preach. I'm sitting on the back row, supposed to be just for chaperones and adults, but there was this young man who comes up, and, and I could tell, like, uh, there, other students were glad to be there. They're talking to each other. They're hanging out. Like, probably his parents made him come. He's not happy about it. And so he's got his phone out, he's got his AirPods in, and even though the back row is supposed to be for adults only, he hops over and just sits right next to me, head down, staring at his phone. I watch over the next 20 or so minutes as uh, people are hanging out, and then they do some icebreaker games, and then worship gets started, and for the vast majority of the time, he's like this, glance up for a second, back down. And I'll just confess, okay? Like, we're in church. I, I'm, just, I'm just gonna be 100% honest with you. I straight up started peeping on his phone because I'm like, what is this kid doing? Like, what's happening here? But his, his phone was super bright, and so I'm, I'm looking over, and, and I see he's got a cycle of about four apps. And over that 20 minutes, with all those other things going on, what he was engaged with and what he was, was paying attention to is he's watching, and he's, he begins with Instagram. And he scrolls through a couple of feeds, and then he pops Instagram stories. Some of you don't even know what that means. You need this series too. But he pulls that up, and then all of a sudden I watch, and he goes pop, 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 pop. And he clicks through all these different images at a pace that I can't keep up with. But evidently he could, because he liked a couple of them, then he moves back on, then he stops, then he goes back, then he sees a couple more, and then all of a sudden he gets bored. He swaps over to the next thing. Goes to Spotify. Spotify, the song that's playing, not exactly his, his feel that time, so he clicks over to the next song in the playlist. Then he swaps over to a messaging app, and on the messaging app, he re refreshes to see, did any of his friends write back? His friends that are not right here, but are somewhere else. And then he's sending photos, and he's liking things, and then he's like, he's refreshing a couple times to see, is anybody gonna write back? Anybody gonna write back? Nope, okay. Over to ESPN, goes to ESPN, looks at a couple things. Game coming up this day, reads some stats, then pops back over to Instagram, and pop, 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 the whole cycle starts back over. We get to where it's like two minutes before I'm gonna preach and part of me's like, okay, I guess I have some responsibility here. So I nudge him and, he's, and he pulls out his AirPod and looks over at me and I said, hey, and he looked kind of like scared for half a second. I said, hey, I'm not gonna rat you out, it's okay. And uh, I said, look man, I, I don't know what your life is like right now, I don't know what brought you here today, but I'm about to talk a little bit about God and I think maybe he has something for you today. And he looked at me, he's like, and he pops his head for a second. <laughs> and I was like, okay. So I go up to preach. Well, when I come down from my message, I come to the back row. He's still there, but the AirPods are gone. The phone is in his pocket. He could have done that to save face. I don't know. But I know that that image has been in my mind because I've begun to realize and wrestle with the fact that this is not just about the 17-year-old or the teenager, but I see myself in that young man. 
Maybe they're not always the same apps. Maybe it's not on my phone. Maybe it's in different environments. But how often, how often have I ended up on my phone when I should be engaged with my family? How many times have I rechecked my work email just in case someone sent something at 11 at night? How many times have I changed the channel back and forth between multiple games on a Sunday? And for all the ways that I would distance myself from that young man and the apps that he might use, I I need to put myself in this place of realizing, man, I need what he experienced to put some of these things away, to acknowledge and wake up to this reality and go, what's happening right around me? And what is happening in my heart and soul? And what does God have to say about it? That's what I want for this series because I have rarely taken stock of all of this in light of Jesus' purposes for me. And I would guess that is true for a lot of us. So let me tell you what this series is not going to be. I'm not intending this series to be a multi-week guilt trip. I'm not intending this series to be an anti-tech rant. And I am not intending this series to be the opportunity for you to elbow somebody next to you. Yeah, you just let that land on you for a second, okay? Because leading up to this series, every time the topic comes up, every time I tell somebody I'm working on this, a lot of people are very excited that we're talking about this. It's a needed issue. A lot of us feel this. And at the same time, I heard a lot of people say, I'm so glad you're talking about this because my fill in the blank. My kids, because my niece, because my grandson, because my friend, because my husband, because my younger coworker, because, and it was always going to be good, but it was always going to be good for somebody else. You know, I heard a lot of what you'd expect. I heard loving, concerned parents and grandparents who are worried about their kids and grandkids' habits with social media and video games and the dangers of life online. But What may surprise you, and maybe not, is that I also heard younger generations who are concerned for those who are older than them. I heard a son mourn the fact that quality time over the holidays was stifled because his mom is always on her iPad. I heard heard a 20-something comment about the kind of angry posts she sees online from people twice her age who are Christians, and yet the anger that can come out especially when politics comes up. And I have been the dad who is supposed to be engaged with my kids or with my wife or on a date and all of a sudden like I I just find myself staring at that little brick. My prayer is that we would not turn this topic and this teaching into a window into other people's hearts but let it be a mirror for our own. I mean, yes, I pray that this causes some good, con- starts some good conversations inside of families. Yes, I pray that, that, that teenager, that you're talking to your parents about what you're processing with all of this. Yes, I pray that multiple generations are sharing their perspective, but the goal for the series is not just that we treat this as a window into someone else's life and heart, but that it is a mirror for us. And that is the metaphor that James, the brother of Jesus, uses. He says in chapter one, anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. 
See, the, the danger in this series, as with any sermon, is that we can hear this teaching and think about it and then walk away and we can forget and stare right back down at a different kind of mirror. It's interesting, there's this TV show called Black Mirror. I haven't seen the show, but I heard that the inspiration behind the name is that when a phone is off, it is a black mirror. And the interesting thing about this particular mirror isn't just that it reflects ourselves back to us, but that when it turns on, it can take us different places and feed us different narratives and tell us and give us different identities and desires. And it will be easy inside this series to hear teaching and walk away and go right back into our routine. And so what I'm especially praying over our church, over myself, for this journey is the next verse from James in verse 25. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. And there, there is a law, a wisdom, a teaching from God, not from man, but from God that will lead us into freedom. Too many of us have experienced different forms of bondage and unfortunately our relationship with these devices is becoming one. We have a problem and we have patterns that we need to reassess. We have ways we need to unplug and we need the Holy Spirit to lead us and guide us to look intently but also to realize there's hope because the same God who rose from the grave can rewire our hearts. The same God who has brought redemption into our relationships and our marriages and our households and our community, the same God who has spread good news all over the world has good news for us today. There is hope. There is freedom. And these resources and tools and this gift of technology can be used for his good and for his purposes and it will be our greatest blessing to experience what it means to love God and love others and know the the perfect law, the law of love, Christ's love that leads to freedom. This is my prayer for us. And in fact, let's do that together. Would you bow your heads? Oh God, I, I just ask in your mercy and grace that you give us hope especially for those who may hear this message or may be looking at things going on in their own life or in the life of their loved ones and, and feel despair, feel hopelessness. Would you bring hope? For those of us who are just going about our routines and not really assessing any of this, will you use this to, to bring some healthy discomfort and conviction that we might, by your Spirit's leading, examine what's happening in our lives? And in addition to all of those, would you give us a deep trust in you through this journey? You love us. You came and you died and rose again to save us, to redeem us. And you can and have redeemed the gifts you've given us that we've used for ill purposes. And you can and have freed us from all kinds of bondage and patterns and unwanted habits. So God, we trust you. Lead us on this journey bring freedom into our lives, and let, let us have these gifts to serve loving you and loving others for your glory, for our good. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.